0: So turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. You might have heard that we're having organ problems, that our organ has to be repaired. So we're looking for an organ donor if you can help. (laughs) See, I never know when you're going to laugh because I thought I was just going to go... Isaiah 5. I I need to thank my children for that one because I told them the organ was not working, and one of them brightly chimed in, Well, we need an organ donor. It took me about five minutes to get that. I was like, Yeah, all right. Isaiah 5. It is great to be um, back in Isaiah. I have yearned to be back in Isaiah. I've loved preaching uh, the life of Jesus, but I'm so excited to be back in Isaiah give you just a, a touch of information about what's going on here to help you get a context. Isaiah is quite a poet, and the, the Hebrew here really spells it out. The, the poetry here is really amazing. And in this chapter, he presents himself as a poet and how it's written. He, you can almost picture him, it's, he's reciting a song for the entertainment of God's people. And the opening words really grab us. He says, I will sing for my beloved. And so he's singing for his beloved who has a vineyard. And and the whole chapter is about the beloved's relationship. And the beloved's also the vine dresser. The farmer. And his relationship to his vineyard. Now you can almost picture... It, I have no idea if this is how it happened, but I picture it like this, that it's during the festive season, the grape harvest, and everybody's around, and Isaiah stands up and give this, gives this great poetic song, and people are listening, they're thinking, oh, this is sweet. And then after reciting all that the, vineyard, the vine dresser's done for his vineyard, in the end he says, yet he's got nothing but rotten fruit from them. And then he looks at the congregation, the crowd, and he says, give verdict. Give verdict. What should he do? And the crowd would probably say something like, tear it down. And he says, yes, that's exactly what it will do. And he closes in verse 7 by saying, you, Israel, are the vineyard. And God is the beloved vine dresser. God intends His sovereign grace and love to you to lead to a fruitful life as a believer, so that the church is to be like a garden, an absolute garden in the wasteland of the world. Let's read Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but beheld bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Let's pray for our time. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the vine dresser Your people have always been your vineyard, God. And we want to be a congregation of people that bear fruits of righteousness to your glory and to our joy. Father, that is part of the means of grace, all that you do for us. We want to be a people that live a transformed life by the power of your Spirit working through your Word. Oh God, teach us now. Let us see and know who you are more. Let your holy spirit work powerfully through your word. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. God intends sovereign grace it means his sovereign work to lead to fruitful obedience in his people's life. That means the church is to be the paradise of the world. It is to be the flowering garden of the world, our lives, that is. Several years ago, I was visiting some friends who own a massive high country sheep farm, and we would go up there on holiday and spend a bit of time with them. Three things I observed in their life as we would go up and spend regular vacations with them. First is they had a deep love for their land. So instead of buying new trucks and new tractors, They invested everything they had back into their property. Second, they would work on their land. They'd get up early, and they'd work late into the night until it was all finished. And third, there was an expectation that their land would produce a harvest for them. One day, we're riding way up in the high country of the farm, and we're with um, the matron of the farm, and as we're riding, she stops and she grabs, a, out of the back of her ute, she grabs a handful of clover seed and throws it out. She says, notice, when we got this place over 40 years ago, there was very little nitrogen in the ground here. And so for years, we've been coming with sacks of clover, and every time we come through, we just pitch it as we come. And she says, you see that? You see the clover there? You see the clover there? And then she said, and do you see that? And I said, yeah, She said, no, 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 come here and look. Do you see this? And as I got down, I began to notice there was an area of about six or seven feet. There was no grass growing in it. She said, this is an obnoxious weed that was imported as a flower, and it's gotten on our farm, and where it grows, there is no grass. Our animals will not eat it. And so what we do is we come in with lime trucks because it hates lime. And every chance we get, every free dollar we have, we're spreading lime up here so that we can get rid of that. On the way back down the hill, she stopped, and with sadness, she said, do you see that block of land over there? I said, yeah, I do. She said, that used to be a fertile farm, but the government decided to take away the lease, and they thought it would be best to go back wild. And look at it now. It's full of gorse, which is the equivalent to our privet hedge. And nothing can live on it. It's thick, it's awful, it's dense. It's an absolute... Waste land since the farmer has left. What a difference between land that was loved by the farmer and land that the farmer had left. In Isaiah 5, the prophet says, God is the beloved vine dresser. He's a farmer. Right? In the beginning, what is God? He's a gardener. In Israel is his vineyard. And he loves Israel. He loves his people. And he works hard. But what he's seen is nothing but rotten fruit. So the vine dresser resolves that he's going to tear down all the protection around his vineyard. And the world will come in and trample it down. And it will become a worthless wasteland. Now, this text is so prevalent in the Jewish mind and psyche that Christ when he's speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 3, listen to what he says. Produce fruits consistent with repentance. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. And when he said that, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Isaiah 5. And he uses it again and again and again. You know, many in the church will say, okay, Rusty, I, I see what you're saying, but that's Israel. We're, we're saved by the gospel of grace. There's not an expectation for us to produce fruit. Let me read to you Romans 7.4. You belong to Him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Same language, same vineyard. Paul even prays in Philippians 1.11 that the churches will be filled with fruits Of righteousness. My friends, our lives are to bear spiritual fruit, and He gives us all grace in Christ to make that happen. This is part of our calling. The church is to be a paradise of the world, not a place of barrenness. Barrenness is to be an anomaly in the church. Now, people experience God through God's people and the transforming grace that He has given us. And that grace produces a harvest of fruit for His glory and for our joy and pleasure. So here's the man I did today that God intends sovereign grace to lead to fruitful obedience. If you're taking notes, write that down. God intends sovereign grace to lead to fruitful obedience. There's three things that we want to see about this text that. Isaiah really breaks it up quite nicely. The first is this, verses 1 and 2, the Song of the Beloved. If you'll turn there with me in your Bibles, the Song of the Beloved. I will sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he dug it and cleared it out of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now, what's going on here? Do you remember 2 Samuel 12? And David had had an affair with Bathsheba. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, David, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about a farmer, who, a shepherd, who has lots of animals. And he has a guest that comes, and his guest comes, and so he decides, you know, I don't want to eat one of my lambs. So he goes to a poor man who's got one lamb that he cares for deeply, and the wealthy man takes that and he feeds it to his guests. And David's outraged, of course. And then Nathan says, "This is you, my friends. That's exactly what's happening here with the vineyard and with what Isaiah's is doing. You see, this is a song of the prophet. It's like a folk song." For my beloved who is the Lord, we learn. And it's revealing his heart, the vine dresser's relationship to the vineyard. And he closes after this poetic song by saying, you, you, listen up. You are the vineyard. Now, notice he describes the love this man has for his vineyard. Look there in your Bibles. He says, he planted it in a very fruitful hill. Which means he planted it in a place that would have perfect sun, and just the right amount of rain for his vineyard. He hand-chose the plot of land that he would plant his vineyard in. He dug it and cleared it of stones. And we might say, well, big deal. Not too many stones here. Well, the Arabs have a proverb that when God created the world that an angel flew over with a sack of stones and periodically would drop one here and one there, and the stones ripped open over Palestine. (laughs) Palestine. And they all emptied out there. You see what they're saying is Palestine is a really stony place. Lots of stones there. And so breaking ground and clearing stones is a massive job. And once that's been done, this land is now unlike the rest. Do you see that? It's not hard and stony. It's soft. It's workable. It's set apart. Then he planted it with choice vines. It means the best quality of vines. And again, years ago, the farmers, they wouldn't just buy a bag of seed and throw it out. They would inspect each seed by hand. And so he's saying, I chose you a special vine to be mine. He then built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat. Those watchtowers were built out of stone so he would have taken all the field stone that he collected and in the back on the side of the hill he would have built a giant watchtower and there he would climb up and watch over his vineyard especially during the harvest season. And he made a vat to collect his grapes when the harvest came. Do you see what he's saying? I dwelt with my vineyard. I didn't just build it and leave. I was with you. I dwelt with you. My presence was with you. Now, with all that grace, everything that he's done for the vineyard, there's an expectation. Look there in your Bibles. He looked to it to produce grapes, but it only yielded wild grapes. And you say, what's so bad about wild grapes? I like musky muscadines and scuppernons, and those are good. That's not what he's talking about here. The word literally means in the original rotten fruit. Fruit that's not usable. So God is saying to his people, As I made you a nation. I brought you out of slavery. I put you in a land flowing with milk and honey. I led you in the battle and I cleared your land for you. I took the nations away so that it would be safe, a place for you to dwell. I wanted you to be a people set apart, different. I gave you my word I made a covenant with you. I gave you my law so that your hearts would not be stony, so that they would be soft and fertile. I came to dwell with you. I tabernacled with you. My presence was there. And you've left me. You've become a wild vine. You're living a rotten, sinful life full of bloodshed, injustice, idol worship, according to verse 7. In England, during the 18th and 19th century, 10,000 people a year, men and women, went into debtor's prison. That's a big number, isn't it? 10,000 a year went into prison. And in those debtor's prison, they, they varied quite a bit. Some of them, you could work, and through your work, you could pay for your food and your meals, and through your work, you could pay off your debt and eventually get out of prison. But there were others, like the one that John Bunyan was in, that You didn't get anything. There was no work provided for you. And so, for food, for clothing, for writing paper, for toiletry items, you were utterly dependent upon the grace of other people. They had to bring it to you. The prison gave them nothing. They received everything by grace. That is how God is describing the Old and New Testament church He has done everything for us. This is His sovereign grace and love, including dwelling with us. If the church is God's vineyard, then there is a unique presence of the Lord in the church where God's people dwell that is not to be found in the world. So in the same way you would expect to meet the vine dresser working in his vineyard when you come into the church with God's people, you expect to meet the Savior in worship because He promises to be here with us and to see His glory through the fruits of His people. God's heart has always been a shepherd, a vine dresser who longs to dwell with His people again. And so after the fall, He made a covenant with God's people. He dwelt with them in His presence. Yet, He still wanted closer intimacy. And with Christ coming, and He cleanses us from our sin, so now His presence can be upon us. 2 Corinthians 6.16 We are the temple of the living God. His presence is now in His vineyard. But that's not the end of the story. And then when He comes again and judges sin and puts it away. Revelations 21.3 Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. The vine dresser will come again and dwell permanently with His vineyard eternally. Point two. God intends sovereign grace to lead to fruitful obedience. Let's move from the song of the beloved to the call for a verdict. Look in your Bibles at verse 3 and 4 with me, a call for a verdict. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done to it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Notice those words, judge between me and my vineyard. So he's saying, what went wrong? I gave you all grace. Israel, you are not to be barren. Yet you've you've given me not just nothing, but you've given rotten fruit. So, the failure is either the vine dressers, the Lord's, or it's the vineyards. It's Israel's. And he's saying in his song, Which is it? Whose fault is it? He's asking for a verdict. Two questions. Notice those questions. He says first, what could I have done? What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done? So he is inviting the people that he's speaking to. You can picture it. All the people there. And he's saying, is there anything that I have done that has caused this? Have I been a bad vine dresser? Could I have done more? In other words, does any blame for your life and the bad fruit you're producing rest upon me? Second question okay, why the bad fruit? When I look for it to yield grapes, why did it yield bad fruit? Hey, this is a great question. Why the bad fruit? When I looked at your lives, why is there darkness? Why is there sin? Why is there wickedness? Now, that question is built upon a theological truth that's true today. It's just this when saving faith is in your heart, sin and darkness always begin to give way, always to righteous fruits. Jonathan Edwards says it like this, the great Puritan pastor, all true saving grace or faith always tend to holy practice. So picture coming into a room that's completely dark, and there's a curtain there, and you draw that curtain back, and the light comes beaming into the room. Light and darkness do not dwell together. The darkness gives way because the light has come into the room. When light comes into the room, darkness always gives way. Saving faith in the heart always brings about a change of life, a transformation. Let's say that you draw, and you draw a stick man. And it's an amazing stick man. It's got depth, and it's got eyebrows, and it's got cheeks, and it's really, really good. But it's not alive, is it? There's no heart in it. There's no life in it. It's not real. It's only an image of what is real. So it is with people and faith in the heart. Listen, my friends. Israel, like many in the church, have an image of saving faith. Like Isaiah 1 says, they go through all the religious motions. Yet you know it's not real and it's dead that there is no saving grace there. How do you know? Because of the fruits that come out of its life. It bears rotten fruits, not the fruits of righteousness. The grace of saving faith is always revealed in practice in how we live. We are alive to knowing God and as part of His vineyard, He is working and bringing forth fruit in every believer's life okay rusty are you saying that i've got to be perfect not at all we're saved solely by grace through faith but i'm saying where the holy spirit is there where god dwells there when you are engrafted in to his vineyard there's always a change of life so faith alone saves yes amen but saving faith is never alone It always produces the fruits of a new heart. And where there is no life change and new fruits, there is no saving faith. Point three. God intends sovereign grace to lead to fruitful obedience. The song of the beloved, the call for a verdict. Now the third thing, the vine dresser gives his verdict. What's the verdict of the vine dresser? What's he going to do? Verse five to seven. Look at that with me in your Bibles. And now I'll tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You hear an echo here. There's an echo here of Genesis one, isn't there? And Genesis three eighteen says this: "Thorns and thistles the earth shall bring forth." You see that? Now God is saying, I am removing all my grace. The hedge is coming down. The wall is coming down. Animals are coming in now and will trample and will devour the vineyard. I will stop working it. I will stop pruning it. It will grow wild. Thorns will abound. I will command the rain to no longer rain upon it. This will be my judgment. It will become a wasteland once more. Now, stop. Okay, Rusty, this is a song. That's poetic language. What does that mean? What does it mean that he's going to command the rain to not rain on us? he saying literally there's not going to be any rain coming upon Israel? No. What set Israel part? Was God's word. Worship. The presence of God. These were the walls of protection. This is what distinguished and defended them from the nations. And now what God is promising is a famine of the Word and of His presence. Okay? Where's that from? Amos 8.11. Let me read that to you. Behold, the day is coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the Word of the Lord. My friends, without the influence of God's Word and His presence, Israel will become a spiritual wasteland. And he tells us in 2 Chronicles exactly what that looks like. He describes it. 2 Chronicles 15, verses 3 to 6, he says this. For many years, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without instruction. In other words, without God's Word. Okay, so what happened? In those times, there is no peace for those who went about their daily activities because the residents of the lands had many conflicts. Nation was crushed by nation, city by city, for God troubled them with every possible distress. The greatest judgments to God, of God, to His people, is when He shuts up the spiritual clouds and no longer does it rain God's Word upon our lives. When the truth of the Word is lost or not taught, He is removing the light of the room and what sets in every time the light leaves is darkness and chaos. Now, it is no different in His vineyard today. His greatest judgment of sin and rotten fruit coming out of various churches is to remove the truth of His Word and people who properly teach God's Word. Think about it like this. The Apostle Paul was in Ephesus for two years, and they loved him. And when he left, let me read you what they said. Acts 20, verse 37-38. And there was what much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the Word. He had spoken. Do you see that? Paul, we're so sad that you're leaving, but we are weeping because we're not going to hear the Word preached like that anymore. We're weeping because the clouds of God's Word that you give us in such a way is moving on. In the early church, the early Christians at Antioch, when they lost their minister, Chrysostom, as he was banished by Rome, they said this, It is better for us to lack the light of the sun than the teaching of Chrysostom. Give us Chrysostom, take away the sun. <laughs> That's how much we love his teaching of the word. Without the truths of God's word and his presence, the walls of the vineyard are torn down, and it will soon become a spiritual light wasteland. Israel then and the church today that is his judgment when his church produces wild and rotten fruit. How do we think and live this? How do we take this from the head to the heart? Just this. A few last thoughts. Jesus says in John 15, 1, I am the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, you're grafted into the vineyard because you're grafted into Jesus. And Jesus is God's vine. You've been planted in Christ as part of His vineyard. His presence is now in you, removing the stones of your heart one by one. He's laboring there through His Word, through the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, all the walls to guard you and keep you set apart and keep your heart soft. And His Gospel message is our security that we are His chosen vine. Amen. That we are cleansed and now we are joined to His Son, the vines, to bear fruits of righteousness. And we are an object of His love and saving grace. Fruits of righteousness don't save us. But unless they're fruits of righteousness, there's no evidence that we are saved. The vine dresser works his vineyard every season of the year. God is working in your life all the time. Now that's important because we have seasons, don't we, where we're not bearing much fruit? We have seasons where we feel like it's winter time. And our hearts can be stony. And the last thing we want to do is come worship the Lord. What about those seasons? What about then? Two encouragements. First, the sap is still in the roots. The sap is still in the roots, brothers and sisters. You are not dead spiritually when you go through hard times because you are joined to Christ. He is the root and the life and the acceptance of God is in Him. The vine dresser's heart for you is that you again begin to commune with Christ, fellowship with Him, learn for Him, obey Him, listen to the Spirit in you so that you can experience the abundant, joyful, fruitful life that He longs for. Let me say it like this. Christianity is not a lake where we can do nothing and we stay in the same place. Christianity is a river where we do nothing and the sin of our heart takes us away from the Lord. Yet, we are grafted into Christ and that is our grace and as we spend time with Him, our hearts transform and the fruits of righteousness come out of us through Christ. Last thing. He is still working in you Even if you don't feel it. Even if you're in the winter. He is doing the work of a master gardener. He's plowing. He's sowing. He's dressing. He's harrowing. He's weeding. He's pruning in your life. My friends, the Savior is always at work in your life because you are His vineyard. And His goal is for you to be like Him to purify your heart and transform your life from the inside out, from the heart to the fruits. His goal is for us to be a vineyard that is the paradise of the world, where people come in and they smell the aroma of God. And when that happens, it's not just to the glory of God, but of course it is, but it is also to the satisfaction of your soul. Because when we're receiving that sap from the Savior, when we are fellowshipping with Him and our lives are full of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, that's also when you have the greatest joy because that's when you're closest to the vine. And the closer we are to Him, the more joy we receive from Him. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank You so much. There is a deep warning here. God, and we dare not move past it and just say we're saved by grace. Lord, the warning here is you are the beloved and you've invested and poured out sovereign grace upon your church in the Old Testament and your church today. You love us. You've grafted us in. But yet the proof of us being grafted in is the fruits of our heart that come out. God, on one side, don't let us believe that we have to be perfect to be a believer. Help us to rest firmly In the fact that we are joined to the vine, and that's why I am acceptable to the Father, my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. But Father, on the other side, let us not say, it doesn't matter how I live. I profess faith in Christ. Let us know that a born-again heart always produces some type of transforming fruit. God, and we want more of that. God, as a church, we want to be the aroma of Christ. When people come in, they see Jesus through our lives. So, God, we ask for more work, more grace, more sap from the vine in our life. And we thank you for your goodness and your gospel message, which we rest in. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to please stand again and turn in your hymnal to number 648. Our closing hymn is, My Jesus, I love Thee.